Coast Church, Charlotte. All right, lovely people. Um, so um, we're five after, and we're going to start uh, directing our attention uh, to the scripture. Before we do that, I'd like us to pray together. There's uh, uh, there's something better than just Bible study, and that is Bible study directed by the Spirit. Amen. Um, because it's the Spirit that leads us and guides us into all understanding, all truth, all revelation. So I want to I want us to do that. And why don't we, Pastor Don, why don't you go ahead and just pray over this time together that the word would live in our hearts and minds? It would be my pleasure. Father, we thank you again for being our God and our Savior. We thank you for being our protector and our leader and our guide. We thank you for being in the hearts of those with whom you have joined and are leading. We appreciate you, Lord God, in more ways than we can articulate. We thank you for our pastor. We thank you for those who have joined in this meeting. We ask that you hover over this meeting today and quicken our hearts so that we will receive this word. We ask that you will help those who need helping in understanding and clarity. We pray, God, that you'll minister to our pastor so that he can minister to us, so that we can hear not from him, but from you. In Jesus' name we pray that there be a blessing tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to turn off microphones to uh, help with the interruptions, and thank you for praying, Pastor Don. Um, we are so blessed at First Church with our staff. Uh, that's something that I try to mention regularly, but I, I don't think I can do it enough. Um, we have just an amazing pastoral staff that so pours themselves out into the hearts and lives of people. And I want to give honor to all of our pastor staff, pastoral staff and our ministry leaders and directors. And so I'm honored to be a part of the team. We are going through the scripture. Now, remember on Sundays, we bring the Bible to us in terms of themes, applications, what's happening in our life. Um, and we personalize it from that perspective. But on Wednesday night, we bring ourselves to the Bible. We, we just go to it verse by verse, line upon line. Uh, so we will have an overview, a spiritual understanding. Uh, we have to care about the word of the Lord. If we do not have Bible-based teaching, understanding, systematic theology, then what we end up with is a religion of sentiment and emotion. And those are both good things in their place. And that place is not to replace the Word of God. And so we are in Mark chapter number 9. You will remember uh, that Jesus has been revealed on the mountain, transfigured before the disciples, uh, Peter, James, and John, who have been revealed the very, they have, they have seen the very deity uh, of God, the, the otherworldliness of God, the spirit reality of God, the creative, incomparable, glory of God. And it has shined through Jesus. Peter had a really bad idea to try to equally honor Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets with Jesus and the eternal God, the one to whom the Bible refers to. So we'll have better understanding of the Godhead 
as father refers to his son, the flesh of Jesus, there walking among them. Hear ye him. This is the one in whom I'm well pleased. And so following upon this, we find ourselves um, at verse number eight, where we ended. They, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Verse nine, chapter nine, gospel of Mark. If you don't have your Bible open in your lap, um, I want to encourage you to do so. Now, as they came down from the mountain, the first lesson of this passage is you can't stay on the mountaintop. We may talk about that if we have time. He commanded them that they should tell no one of the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. It wasn't that it was a secret. It's that there was a right time. There is so much wisdom in that statement that you will find established, founded, reiterated, um, all through the wisdom literature of the Bible, Proverbs, Psalms, um, Ecclesiastes, the timeliness of life, the importance of timing. It's not a secret, but there is a right time to talk about it. I oftentimes speak this to myself when I am in some way dealing with explosive emotions or frustration or anger that makes me want to just speak, you see. And I'll always tell myself, and you guys have heard me say this, and if you're on my leadership teams, I mean, you've, you've heard this probably until you're sick of it. <laughs> it's easy to be angry. It's hard to be angry in the right way at the right time with the right person. So to repeat ourselves, it's easy to be angry. But it's really hard to be angry in the right way at the right time with the right person. What so many of us do is we're angry in the wrong way at the wrong time and then angry at the wrong people. We take it out on our families, whether through sullenness or irritation. It wasn't their fault to begin with, and they can't even fix it. But oftentimes, they have no way to push back. So God help us in that regard. It's not that it's a secret. It's just don't talk about it right now. And so continuing uh, from verse number nine, tell no one until the son of man had risen from the dead. Verse number 10. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. They did not understand what God was doing even now. He had told them of Calvary but they could not wrap their head around it. It was a target they could not see, much less hit from a distance. They could not see it. And so here becomes this lived opportunity for them to trust. It's not just the 12, uh, or in this case, Peter, James, and John, the inner disciples who have an opportunity to trust in the very uh, grip of uncertainty and confusion, not just them. All of us have a chance to hear God speaking, admit we don't understand, and then say with spiritual confidence, we choose to trust the Lord. We choose to trust the promise of God. Don't tell anyone, he says, number one, until I have uh, the Son of Man has been raised. They don't even understand what he's talking about, but they choose to trust. Notice uh, verse number 11, and they asked him, I want to emphasize that, and they asked him, and they asked him, saying, 
Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Then he answered and told them, indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how is it written concerning the son of man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has also come and they did to him whatever they wished as it is written, written of him. So this passage is uh, so insightful. It is so uh, instructive, like all of the words of Jesus. It's heavy with uh, eternal, uh, eternal understanding, heavy uh, with prophetic utterance, um, and more, it is heavy with fulfillment. Um, so many of the words of Jesus, in fact, I would suggest that nearly every single thing Jesus said has that element to it of uh, layers. Um, there's a depth to it. Um, I often like to consider Bible study a type of um, like an archaeologist would do, where you, you brush back a layer and you learn, and then life, chance, circumstance, your own maturity, your own spiritual understanding, all of this continues to move and flow and ebb in your life, cycle like the tides, and you then brush back another layer. And when you see it the second time, there's something unexpected there. Um, the interesting thing about this moment, though, is the willingness, at least interesting to me, the willingness of Jesus to entertain their questions. Now, um, I want to... Uh, this is something the Lord has given me today. I've, I have in many times read this passion, passage and not seen it. Um, but here we go. Notice Jesus tells them what they're going to do. They don't understand. They ask questions. Not every time, not every time that Jesus um, received questions from them. Did he receive them gladly? Um, Peter, just the chapter before, has tried to rebuke him. Um, there is times where there seems to be impatient impatience upon uh, Jesus, um, at least in the language of the text. But here is the here is the interesting thing. I wonder if Peter had asked Jesus a question in the chapter before. When Jesus told them he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the chief priests and the elders and die on a cross. If Peter had asked him a question, it might have been a much better response than when Peter spoke uh, not just a rebuke to Jesus, but as it were, called Jesus to a different way of pursuing far be it from thee. Don't even think about this. Don't even consider it, Jesus. And then what does Jesus do? You speak with the voice of the devil. Get thee behind me, Satan. Uh, consider that. Um, they don't understand in chapter number eight, where we read earlier of Peter's rebuke. They don't understand in chapter nine. But in chapter nine, they come to the Lord with questions, not rebuke. So watch this. On top of Mount Transfiguration, 
when Peter says, Lord, let's build here three tabernacles, he's not asking a question. What does he get? A rebuke. I wonder if he would have been received differently if he would have asked, Lord, is it right for us to honor or memorialize this moment? Should the memory, the testimony, the demonstration of this be in some way a sacrament of our faith? Should we build a monument, a memorial? It might have been a very different response had he asked a question. But he didn't ask a question, did he? He gave a direction for the Lord to go in as though the Lord was serving him rather than he was serving the Lord. What was this mistake in chapter number eight? He didn't ask questions. He said this way, don't even think about it. You're wrong to do that. That's a mistake. What happens on Mount uh, Transfiguration where he gets rebuked? He doesn't ask questions. You see what's happening here. And when we get here to this passage here, right here in where he says, um, verse number 11, and they asked him saying, why did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? They don't get a, re they don't get a review, uh, a re reproof then they don't get a rebuke then. Isn't that amazing? It's like the Lord is not intimidated by our questions. The Lord is not intimidated by their questions. The Lord is perfectly willing to entertain their questions. The Lord is perfectly willing to give them more knowledge, more understanding. What does the Bible teach us? Do any of you lack knowledge? Ask the Lord. Do you lack wisdom? Ask the Lord. If we ask, we will receive. If we knock, the door will be open unto us, do you see? And so this uh, principle here, is something that I think we should, first of all, live it out in our, our, our life of spiritual becoming. God plants us in a local church. The local church is that organization that is ordained in the scripture, established and instituted. There is no denomination ordained in the scripture. There is no fellowship, even fellowships that we're a part of. It's not ordained in the scripture. All those are helps and aids. They're not uh, biblically precedented, do you see? It's the local church that's biblically precedented and the mentoring relationships between generations of anointed ones. Now, if a fellowship or an organization can help us with that, then good and fun. Uh, that's why that's not a problem in itself. Um, it's just to understand with perfect clarity. We make a difference in the kingdom of God in the local church. God plants us in a local church and then we become, do you see? We become who he says we can be. We do the work he calls us to do. He plants us and we prosper in that place. There is a, a spiritual flourishing that is this real sign of spiritual maturity, not rebuking people. Um, there's a place for rebuking the church, um, not, you know, exalting ourselves. The Lord will let people rise and fall. Um, uh, uh, the real sign of maturity is to prosper where you are. One of the quickest ways, or let me say it differently, to flourish where you are. One of the quickest ways to limit our spiritual potential in the local church is to become the critical review of that church. Um, 
that's the quickest way to lose our place of anointing. Um, Because if you do not like somebody in the church, and then you do the work of division in the church by criticizing or complaining or just generally causing, uh, it's like James said, you know, you talk and you set your world on fire. Uh, that That's one of the quickest ways to limit our potential to flourish in the local church because whether or not, hear me, whether or not I'm committed to the local church, God's committed to the local church. And I can't hurt the local church without hurting what God is trying to do in others, do you see? And so whether or not I believe um, in the church, God believes in the church. Uh, The church was God's plan to demonstrate the gospel of making a broken world whole through his righteousness, his holiness, giving us an opportunity to call upon his name, to turn toward him, do you see, to create a, a love relationship, an intimacy. I seek to please you, God, not because I deserve it, not because I'm good enough. That, that, that ship has sailed, but because I see your beauty and I follow your way. So if I, in a local church, become part of the uh, accuser of the brethren, uh, jury, <laughs> then I, it's not so much that I hurt the church, even though I do, it's that as I make it impossible for myself to flourish in a garden of imperfect people. Um, all right, I'm getting sidetracked. Let me, let me get back on point here. Uh, and so here you see this, this reality of uh, maturing and flourishing uh, within the place that God God has planted you and that anointing, that place of spiritual utterance, that place of spiritual prosperity uh, happening, happening in the local church. And one of the biggest signs of that maturing is that spiritual flourishing where God has planted you. Uh, we should always be leery of people who cannot see the good of the local church they are a part of. There are people who they never can find their place because they can't see the good, the good of it. Um, these disciples, honestly, at this moment, it's almost as though they have less than a clue. Jesus is still invested in them. Peter can't stop fumbling and falling over his own feet. Jesus is still committed to him. And when they ask, Jesus is quick to invest in them. That discipleship instruction of becoming is all in the image of Peter getting it wrong in chapter number eight, Peter getting it wrong in chapter number nine, Peter getting two rebukes in a row, and then the disciples coming down from the mountain and asking Jesus questions, and Jesus willingly answered them. Questions are important and questions are powerful. Um, Jesus answered questions. Uh, Jesus did not rebuke questions. Jesus rebuked Satan's plans, mouthed through spiritually immature people who did not understand, nor could they appreciate how God could win through the form of a cross. Say it isn't so, Master. Everyone who hangs from a tree is cursed. What do you mean 
drink your blood and eat your flesh. Don't you know that is in the face of the law of Moses? Are you intentionally offending us, Jesus, to show us the power of trust? All of this is in these passages that we are uh, working our way through. Look at the role of questions in the Bible. First of all, if you want to understand the most consistent way that Jesus taught, he taught by questions and he taught by parables. Um, We often celebrate Jesus teaching by parable. We don't often celebrate Jesus teaching by questions. Let me give you real quick some, some of the questions. In Matthew chapter number 12, and this is not a comprehensive uh, overview. This is just a quick survey, okay? Matthew 12, Jesus teaches by asking a question when he is dealing with the um, controversy of healing on the Sabbath. Jesus asks a question. He says, what man of you? Is What man is there among you who has one sheep? You see how he teaches with a question? He teaches with a question. In regards to his identity, he teaches with a question. Uh, we read last uh, few last month in Mark 8, where he deals with this, who do men say that I am? Also, Matthew 16, who do men say that I am? Jesus is teaching about his identity with a question. How about uh, Matthew 20, 22? Uh, he asked them, um, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said the son of David. The point is Jesus teaches with questions. When he's challenged about divorce, what does he say? He asks them a question. This is all Mark 10. What did Moses command you uh, about paying taxes? Uh, This is Luke 22, or Luke 20, excuse me, verse 22. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He asks questions to teach. Finally, Matthew 21, Jesus answered uh, answered them and said to this, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will likewise tell you by what authority I do these things. Here's the question. The baptism of John, where is it from? From heaven or from men? So questions is a powerful teaching tool. I think that in the apostolic church, questions have been underappreciated. I think there are many how shall we say? There are many churches where it's almost a sin to ask questions. Um, I didn't grow up like that. My dad encouraged questions as long as they were not disrespectful or sacrilegious. Um, I had a tremendous example of that in my my uh, raising. When I went to Bible college, however, many of my friends could not stand me asking questions. I was, I had been raised to try to understand. Um, and that was a hunger within me. I got on so many of my supposedly friends nerves because I would ask questions. In fact, I had them come to me and ask me to shut up in class. I was on their nerves. Isn't that funny? It's not just your nerves. <laughs> it's my, it's other people nerves. Uh, Jesus taught by asking questions. Uh, Why, what is the, let me just real quick, have you consider this. If a teacher uses questions, what does it automatically say about the teacher? He wants you to think and understand, not just submit and obey. Now there's a place for submission and there's a place for obedience. 
But in terms of learning, in terms of spiritual potential, do you see, in terms of you striving to become who God says you can be, it's not enough for you just to submit and obey. Jesus would teach you with questions. Think about it. He does this over and over again. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Do you see? Questions are not simply about whether or not you submit and obey. Questions are about do you understand and become? And God is very interested in who you become. God is very interested in who our children become. God is very interested in who the young Christians and the young believers in our church become. We cannot be afraid of questions. Peter's been rebuked twice, but when they ask him a question about Elijah, if we have time, we'll actually talk about Elijah. Um, when they ask him a question about Elijah, he doesn't re rebuke them. He talks to them about uh, Elijah and the role the role of Elijah. So uh, there is a lesson. Let me just take a moment here. I, I, at some point in the future, I'm, I'm probably going to teach this in a deeper format. I want to give it to you as a thought tonight. Um, there is a chance I won't preach it because it's always a little bit awkward for a pastor to preach about pastoral authority um, in the same manner. Uh, it can be awkward for a pastor to take up big offerings because so many unbelievers um, try to twist everything to the cynical review. Um, they know how they project, you know, if they had the church's money, they, they know they would take it. So they assume everybody else has taken it. Do you see what I'm saying? Um, if they were in charge, they would use their authority to keep everybody uh, in line. So they assume everybody, everybody else is doing that. But I am going to appeal to you uh, to, understand the importance of spiritual authority in the scripture. And here's the reason why. Notice that the question is, the question is, uh, you, you know, our critics are saying you can't be the Christ because Elijah hasn't come. Um, what do you say to that? And of course, Jesus answers, Elijah has come, to which the critic would say, no, Elijah hasn't come. Nobody's announced themselves as Elijah, to which the answer was John the Baptist stood how in the role and unction and divine authority, do you see, of Elijah. But he wasn't Elijah, he was John the Baptist. When men and women of God are used of God, it's not just them and their personality. They stand in the role of something else. I was raised never to criticize uh, pastors and preachers and anyone who God would uh, use, particularly among the church. Um, I was an opinionated young man. I loved preaching. I had my favorite preachers. I had some people I liked better than others. My dad would not let me. He would not receive criticism of me, of someone we had an evangelist and I didn't like. He would not receive it from me. Um, here's the reason why. We think when we criticize a man or a woman in God's role that we are speaking against them personally. Um, but we forget they are standing in the role of something spiritually. 
So was John the Baptist Elijah? No. But was he for the purposes of God? Yes. I want to say that again. If you fail to understand this, I think, I think there will be a powerful lesson that will slip through your fingers. Um, you could criticize John the Baptist. You would have never criticized Elijah, but you're comfortable, say you were a Pharisee, you're comfortable criticizing John the Baptist. You would have never been criticizing, you'd never been comfortable criticizing Elijah because John the Baptist, by your way of judging the hand of God, was not Elijah. Therefore, he was safe to criticize. And the Lord says, no, who you thought of as Elijah, that was John the Baptist. So everything that was said about Elijah, excuse me, John the Baptist, the hatred that was ex expressed toward him, the visceral, uh, malevolent attack brought by these men against John the Baptist. They thought they were speaking against John the Baptist, but they were speaking against Elijah. That thought would have filled them with terror and humility. Do you see? That thought would have sent them to repentance. But since it was just John the Baptist, they had no problem being critical. And so this is my appeal uh, to all of us, myself first, and then maybe I'll overflow to the rest of you. I cannot be calloused, slack, or indifferent, lackadaisical, or in some way sloppy about how I criticize other ministries, other people, other churches. Because like Gamaliel said, I don't know if God's in it or not. If God's not in it, nothing will come of it. But if God is in it, I don't want to be on the wrong side of God. Do you see? Uh, this matters. They spoke against John the Baptist. They had no fear. But they were really speaking against Elijah. That should have filled them with fear. Uh, let's be a church that builds one another up. At any one moment, you never know the anointing with which you perhaps are investing the Spirit of God into the church. And so let's speak gently one with another. Let's not be quick to reprove one another to re reject one another. And certainly let's not say anything that if that person wasn't there, uh, we would not want played back for us. In my opinion, the most practical definition of gossip is if this conversation was replayed and they were sitting here, would I feel shame? If I would feel shame at that being replayed back, then uh, there's a very, very good chance that there's more gossip going on than anything else, do you see? Um, and so we don't want to speak against uh, men and women of God, men and women of faith. They might be standing in the role of a prophet. The ministry of the mighty may be flowing through them like the anointing oil that flowed down through Aaron's beard. And here we come, be bopping along as carnal as a foot, and we're going to talk briskly, cautious, callously, cynically about people. And we don't know for someone in that moment, they were standing in the role of the prophet or the prophetess. So, all right, I need to move along. Uh, it wasn't just that Jesus taught uh, by questions. It was that the disciples learned by questions. 
And so I want you to know we're going to have a chance to have questions here. I can't teach like this and not give a question opportunity. So if you want to think about it, you can ask me a question. Excuse me. (coughs) All right. Uh, The disciples asked questions about his parables. Uh, This is Mark 4, verse 10. When they were alone, when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. Uh, How about Mark 7? When they entered the house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. Uh, They, as we read, asked about Elijah. They asked uh, next week, maybe next week, sometime this month, uh, when we get to verse 28, uh, his disciples could not cast out a demon. And they asked him privately, why could we not cast out a demon? <laughs> they asked him for clarification on matters of divorce. Uh, we'll get to that in Mark 10. Um, John 9, a rabbi who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind. Uh, Mark 13, when he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. Uh, and Jesus answered and said to him, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone is going to remain on another. Um, asking questions is a powerful a way to learn. When is it wrong? Um, when it's a trap or a trick and you're using questions cynically, that's always wrong. Uh, secondly, when it's disrespectful or in some way sacrilegious, that's always wrong. Um, when it isn't time for questions, you don't have time in that moment. It can be a distraction. You have to respect the house. This is true of all our gatherings. We must have um, order in our gatherings as the Apostle Paul taught us. Um, That includes such things as maybe uh, insisting on a question at the wrong time or uh, trying to bring attention to yourself in a public meeting in a way that's unhelpful. Um, It is possible for us to say worship in a way that draws more attention to us than it does give glory to God. That's always a mistake in public meetings um, because it creates distraction from the flow and order of the service. Um, there is, there is timing and circumstances where things could be wrong. Uh, that said, we should not be afraid of questions. And so, uh, with that in mind, uh, let me encourage you to have a heart a heart uh, for questions, to have a tolerance for questions in the questions your children ask. Um, when our children ask us questions, a lot of times they are repeating questions they've heard at school. They were he- repeating questions they've heard on the internet of uh, unbelievers and the like. Uh, we cannot rebuke them for questions. Uh, we also have a great chance to teach humility by admitting when we do not have an answer, do you see? Um, Our children need to see us admit when we don't know something. That's how they learn, do you see? Our children uh, need to hear us apologize. Our children need to hear us repent. Our children need to hear us admit when our idea isn't the best idea. Our children need to see. You can talk all you want about humility, but humility is not how you carry yourself uh, in the sense of, oh, I'm just worth nothing. That's another form of vanity. Humility is when you're rebuked, do you ask yourself if there's any truth in it? That's much harder than going around and saying, oh, I don't have anything. Um, The world is full of false humility. Real humility is what you do when someone brings uh, uh, reproof to you, when you don't like when something happens. Uh, Do you get angry? 
when um, you don't like the decision that was made. This is real. This is real life humility here. All right. I'm not I'm getting off the reservation again. I'm going to turn on uh, your microphones um, and I'm going to give you a chance um, to. Uh, well, I don't want you to do it. Uh, I want you to type it in the text simply because if you have any questions, um, because it gives us a, a concise way um, and we have less technical challenges when we do it that way. So uh, before we uh, do anything else, I want to open up the floor uh, for questions that any of you would have. Um, and I want to encourage you uh, to receive questions in your own heart, receive them in your family, particularly see, receive them from children, uh, receive questions with the same zeal that the gossip receives a bad report. <laughs> um, we should be we should be a hunger for that. Uh, and so, if we don't have questions, that's fine. But I want you to know at any time you can type a question. Uh, let me let me end with one um, last story that I think is is interesting for instruction. Uh, remember the story of Philip. Uh, who meets the eunuch on the road, and uh, the, he sees that the eunuch is reading from a book of the law, and he asks him, does he understand what he's reading? The eunuch invites him to journey with him, and they speak together about this sacred scripture. And this is, of course, in Acts chapter number eight. I've preached from this story many times. It's a great, great story. I'm going to show you the power of questions. So the eunuch answered to Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? He's asking a question. Then Peter, excuse me, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, Philip preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water. And then the eunuch asked, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Is there any reason I can't become a believer right now? Is there any reason why I can't be baptized in this water right here, right now? Uh, one question of understanding, the second question of action, the second question of inclusion. The second question of, can I become a believer? Is this for me and my life? Is the, if this is me, for me and my heart? Notice the question of whether or not he could become a part of the kingdom of God came after a question of understanding. One of the reasons why at First Church, uh, we commit to every person who comes that we will start where you are, as you are, where you are not as we wish you were or as we or where we wish you were um, is because if we will give people time to understand, we won't have to push them to become a believer. We won't have to trick them to seek the gift of the spirit in their life. We won't have to bribe them into being baptized. Do you see? Philip gives him understanding. And once understanding has been given, then it's a natural progression for them to, for an individual to choose. What is the difference in this 
and the story of uh, a gospel message. Remember when we did the series, all the gospel uh, sermons in the Bible, and we pointed, we, we di differentiated the sermons where there was a hostile audience. And so the word has more rebuke and challenge. Uh, like, for example, Peter says they have to repent. It was your hands that crucified the Lord of glory. You will remember that. Um, the difference is the heart of the recipient. Here is a man who is enamored of the kingdom of God. He is already hungry. He, he does not need to get hungry. He's already hungry. When the Lord checks us, rebukes us, challenges us, he's given us an opportunity to turn from the junk food we have been filling ourselves with to the wholesome nutrition of the gospel. Do you see how I'm using that? You see what I did there? We repent of the things of this world we have been trying to fill ourselves with. <clears throat> we turn to God having repented, excuse me, <clears throat> we turn to God and we say, you fill me. Here's a man who's already emptied of the world. He's already hungry. And he's saying, oh, God, fill me. That's the difference. When people are hungry, they just need to understand. All right. God bless you. I love you all. Let's take a moment here and let's pray together and uh, ask the Lord to uh, minister to us. Uh, speak to us. I see uh, Linda you raised a hand. Is that because you had a question, Linda? Or was that just uh, you um, accidentally hitting the wrong button on your phone? Okay, I'm going to assume that, that you just hit the wrong button. Um, all right, let's take a moment here and let's just pray about uh, the Lord's leading and guiding of us to greater understanding. I'm going to lead you all in prayer. I would like you all, while I'm praying, to follow the spirit of my prayer. You can use your own language, of course. Follow the spirit of my prayer. Let's just take, let's just have a few minutes of prayer here together as we pray about these uh, these important lessons of the scripture. Amen. Lord Jesus, we come to you right now and we ask for understanding to be given to us from the scripture. We are marching faithfully through these scriptures. We are taking one step at a time, applying the scriptures to our life. We want to understand, Lord. That starts with me. Uh, I don't want to just pontificate upon scripture as though it begins and ends with me. What a foolish and absurd thing for any Bible teacher to do. Uh, that's just spiritually grotesque to me. We all humble ourselves before the word of God and we say, open our understanding, Lord. I pray for all the people who are in this meeting right now. I pray for the people who perhaps are watching this in the future uh, as they stream from another platform, another day of their life. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak understanding into our hearts and you would give us a confidence in your truth. It's so easy for us to be insecure believers whether it's fear in our life, whether it's the uncertainty of what tomorrow holds, whether it's questions about understanding of things prophetic, of things theological, of things church-related. Lord Jesus, I'm praying for our hearts and minds to be open to receive the instruction of the scripture. I'm praying today that you would move among us. I'm praying today that you would guide us. 
Lord Jesus, let our understanding open wider than it ever has to receive the very gift of heaven spoken into us through your word, that we would grow by it, that we would be full of the nutritious truth of the word of God. Save us from the things of this world that are false gods. Save us from the lies we tell ourselves to cope like a illicit drug that we take to experience a feeling that is artificial and ultimately damning to our lives, our minds, and our consciousness. But we are hooked on an artificial feeling. The false gods of this world are like that. The fame, gods, fortune, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Uh, The false gods of this world are very much like that. They're empty gods and they leave us empty, but like an addict who slowly loses the ability to enjoy the drug they were taking and they become hooked and destroyed on that emotional, psychological lie of the illicit drug or the alcohol or whatever it is. Don't let us be fooled into living a lie of this world ensnared and trapped in some way held by the forces of this world, the very demonic influence that is working against the potential of our hearts in your hand. Oh, Lord, I'm praying today that we would walk with understanding. I'm praying for the leadership of First Church, oh God. I'm praying that we would walk with understanding. I pray every leader, every mentor, every small group director, every pastor. I pray that we would see people with spiritual understanding. Uh, We would minister uh, not just out of uh, the knowledge of books we've read and school we've attended, but to speak spiritually to the brokenness of our society, the tears of the lives that are in our hands. Let us speak with spiritual understanding, oh God. I pray against deception among the the hearts and minds of people, and I pray for the clarity of divine truth. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we, having been filled with confidence in you, would receive questions from others with a smile, uh, not as though they will destroy the kingdom of God through a question, as though such a thing were possible but as though they have a heart that is sincere enough to ask rather than simply breathing out uh, curses against your name, your truth, your kingdom, your church. Lord Jesus, give us a tolerance for people. Give us a tolerance for questions. Give us a tolerance for uh, having kindness, even in the face of the malevolent question, the tricked question. Let it not threaten us at all. Let it not hit our personality response buttons at all. Let us feel pity for them, not anger at them. Let us feel compassion for them, not resentment at them, that we would be effective in your kingdom, that we would work, oh God, toward the possible what you could do among us because your spirit is mightily moving among us, blowing as the wind among us, oh God, leading us, surprising us, opening doors that are astonishing, uh, closing doors that are uh, misdirecting. Oh Lord Jesus, we know there is no effectiveness in the kingdom of God that is not counterattacked by the forces of hell. And so we pray today for your protection against the lies of the enemy, your protection against the willingness of the 
critic, the gossip, the unbeliever, uh, the malevolent. Uh, I pray you would protect us, Lord Jesus. And so we call on you today that you would lead us by your power and direct us by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.